What? Yeah, <laughs> I thought you were going to say something after. <laughs> That's why I didn't. That's fine. Well, here we go. Can I say that? <laughs> oh. Yep, go for it. <laughs> You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Bohr, and I am one of your hosts, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Holly, how are you today? Hey, Robert. I am doing awesome. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm really good, actually. We are good. recording this a little differently than normal. Usually, we record it a couple days before, but we're actually recording this mm-hmm. kind of as close as we can. Uh, so Sunday yeah. night, uh, I think eight hours before the episode comes out on Monday morning. I know. Uh, when I schedule <laughs> it. So we are cutting this one close, but it's good, maybe, because it's the most up-to-date that the listeners will get when we say, how was your week? Yeah, that's right. It's not going to be like, well, my week's been good, but there are like five days in between recording and when the episode comes out. So it does feel kind of fresh. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, part of the reason is not all of it, but just scheduling was a little harder this week, but you were traveling, right? That's right. Yeah. So, um, so our council on social work education has its annual meeting each year for social work educators to come together and uh, just to learn about one another's research and best practices with teaching and kind of some current trends um, in the field. And um, so we had that this year in Orlando, which was so fun. Um, I don't know that, I mean, CSWE, it's, you know, each year it's, kind of all over the country, but um, it was a lot of fun this year having it in Orlando so that, you know, we could kind of balance a little bit and actually practice a little self-care and maybe get out to, you know, to Disney. And yeah, yeah, so so I got to, you know, do a little bit of work and then spend a day at Disney and then do a little bit more work and got home uh, uh, this morning. Actually, my flight left at six o'clock this morning. So I was up at 2 a.m. And so mm. this day has been, you know, but, but yeah, I, I mean, yeah, so it's kind of thrown everything off a little bit in terms of scheduling this week, but, um, but it was, I mean, it was just, it's so fun going to this conference and getting to see folks. I know Jonathan Singer, I saw him like from a distance at one point <laughs> and yeah. I was wanting to connect with him at this conference, but you know, it's always, there's just so, so many folks and there's so much to do and we're kind of all running around from one session to another. And so, um, so I didn't get to connect with them, but, but if Jonathan's listening to this, hi, Jonathan. But yeah, yeah. it was, it was good. It yeah, was maybe good. We'll, uh, maybe we'll have him back on the show sometime soon. That's a good, you know, we should do that. We should last, have him last time he was on. on the show, you weren't involved That's at right. all. It was yeah. before you even, probably, that we'd ever even talked to each other or anything. So it was That's uh, right. quite a while ago. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, yeah, it was this time last year that he had said, hey, do you know Robert Bohr and Steve Austin and do you know CXMH? And so I think we should have him come on at some point um, yeah sometime soon that'd be fun that'd be good so what about y'all what have you been up to this week no we've been it's been actually a really good week I think kind of reflecting back on it it's been really good it's been one of those where it's uh, super busy but you know kind of when Mm -hmm. I guess Sundays feel like to me kind of the end of 
the week and then kind of prepping for the next week, you know? Um, and so, yeah, uh, no, it was really good. Last Sunday, I think I mentioned this uh, in, in the last intro, but last Sunday I got to speak at a local church uh, their like all their leaders, like volunteers who work with their college ministry type thing. Mm, uh, and so I got uh-huh. to talk on Sunday, do like a, a training about college students and mental health and things like that, which is uh-huh. really awesome. And then mm-hmm. on Wednesday, I actually spoke at a, a local youth group and did uh, so. Like I kind of I preached about some stuff. They were they were in kind of this series where they were talking about different things, and uh, this one was kind of uh, pointed more towards suicide and having open conversations about that. So I, I did a little bit of preaching, and then did, we did like a Q and A with both the students and the parents, and then the students went off to do small groups, and then I got to sit with the parents for a bit and I answer some of oh, their questions. Man. And it was yeah. just a really good time. Um, just the, the, the different questions that the students ask and then the parents ask is always really interesting, but both so valuable. And I don't know, I think I, I mentioned to Brooke when I got home, but I think it's my, like my teaching background coming out because my undergrad is in, mm, is in teaching, mm-hmm. albeit uh-huh. music ed, but you know, just, I love the, the Q and A parts. I like more than anything else. The, the prepared parts are fine. I mean, I think I do a good enough job, but the Q and A parts I really like because I get to kind of explain how, things interact with each other and and yeah you know, kind of be give like I guess bigger overall like understanding things but then also really practical things because people are asking what what about this situation what about this situation so mm-hmm. I really love doing things like that and so that was really fun uh, and then this week coming up on Wednesday I actually have a suicide prevention training that is is happening on Wednesday night so Oh, that's awesome good yeah. good for you that's awesome yeah so it's been a fun chunk of time yeah Oh my gosh. Well, that's good. I mean, that's such good work that you're doing and um, just the hearing that you're getting out into the community and able to talk about these things. I do understand that feeling though about like the Q&A being like the best part because, you know, you you prepare so much, but the, the joy of getting to sit back and really see where your audience is and what's on their mind and how to connect with them and like what they're currently thinking about and questioning and wondering. And that is like, I mean, that, that's one of the best parts about speaking. Um, yeah. And I know one of the, so John and I presented, John Singletary and I presented on a study that I did at the, at the meeting this last weekend. And it was like, I mean, we did like 20 minutes of presentation and then it was like, you know, 40 minutes of Q and A and discussion. Yeah. And it was just, it's so energizing and I don't know. I mean, it's yeah. so good that you're doing that you know, covering those topics, but I'm glad that you leave space for that as a speaker. Yeah, I, think I think that's so important. In the last, you know, I don't know, two, three years that I've been doing more suicide prevention trainings and things like that, I think I've progressively left more and more time for Q&As mm-hmm. because it just feels like that is where people really connect and really get to, you know, say their bit and ask things that are really, that really matter to them and are really personal to them. And you know, in kind of a selfish way, it's I, I I like it better because it goes from everybody just sitting there staring at you for a long right. time, which isn't comfortable. To like, oh, we're we're all kind of having a conversation. We can interact some, which is like twenty nine yeah. times more comfortable for me anyway. Yeah, so, that's yeah, awesome. I think it's probably a little better for everybody the more of that time that there is. Mm, that's so good. Yeah. Well, good for you for doing that. I'm sure your audience appreciates that immensely. So well, that's good. You. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully so. <laughs> well, should we should we shift into talking about our episode this yeah. week? Tell me about okay. 
this episode since yeah. I wasn't there. I'm, I edited it, so I listened to it, but I'm going to pretend like I wasn't there because I wasn't there. Tell me about this episode, Holly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was so bummed that you couldn't be there, but I know, you know, you had another obligation that day. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we uh, had invited Felina Hewitt to come back onto the show. So in episode 51, she talked about her book, Pilgrimage of a Soul, and she's come back into uh, for this episode to talk about her new book um, that is called Mindful Silence, The Heart of Christian Contemplation. And it, it comes out tomorrow. So when listeners are hearing this, it is tomorrow that the book will be available on November 13th. And it's just, I mean, she does such a good job of explaining the background of this book and how it's really transitioned from Pilgrimage of a Soul into um, into this new book and what it offers that's, you know, that's unique, that's different from Pilgrimage of a Soul. And, and I feel like she just dives so much deeper into um, centering prayer, what it is, why we need it, who's it for, what do you, how do you engage in this? And not just centering prayer, but contemplative practices overall. So she talks about how in this book, you know, each chapter kind of unpacks a different practice, but man, I will say for our listeners, (laughs) um, I wish y'all, oh man, Felina would start going and talking and I would just sit there and want to just sit in what she was saying and just kind of like just sit with it for a little bit before <laughs> responding. So sometimes it was like, oh, but wait, I need to I need to follow up with some of this. But I really just wanted to like sit and pause and chew on it. And so I know I'm going to be going back and listening to this episode a few times. The book is phenomenal. I highly recommend it to anyone. It really is for everyone too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. even listening while I was editing through, I mean, it was so good. She talks about one of the one of the parts that I really like, she talked about these these practices of solitude and stillness and silence, all of which, you know, we're pretty bad at in general these days, if yeah. if I, you know, kind of generalize there, myself for sure included. But she talked about how those things like interact with doing doing social action, right? Doing good for people and how kind of what that reveals to us about the the way or the reason that we're doing good things, right? And yeah, the the things that she talked about struck me in a particular way because she mentioned being an Enneagram too, and and I know that we're both yeah. Enneagram twos, but she talked about yep. kind of looking, investigating the reason behind the things that she does, even if they're good things to be doing for other people. Uh, and that's and, right. Uh, the way that she was talking about it, I you know hit, hit me hit me right in the face right there. So I uh, know, I know. So it's painful. Yeah, I mean it's. It is. I mean, it's good awareness. Um, it's just, it's really good awareness practice and awakening and, and paying attention to those motivations to why we do what we do. And, and even though, yeah, we can have something that's so, are you, are you thinking there's a quote in there that I know I refer to that, you know, it can be, we think that we're doing something in the most beautiful and good way, but then when we realize the why behind we're doing it, it's, we really need to take a second and pause and think, oh man, is this really good? Is this really helping? Or yeah, it's just, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> I don't want to say too much. I want our listeners to just hear it and hear it from her because man, she does such a good job unpacking this. And I will touch on too, you mentioned this, the solitude, silence, and stillness. A lot of that too ties in with our different Enneagram numbers. Um, and I think she talks about that, but if not, it's definitely in the book. So, um, how certain numbers kind of need certain practices a little bit more. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Nice. Oh, man. So good. I can't wait for our listeners to hear it. I know. Enough of us talking about it. I know. It. We'll just, yeah. We'll just jump right in. I hope y'all enjoy this one. Hey, welcome back to the show. Today, I'm joined once again by Felina Hewart. You may remember Felina from our interview back in episode 51 as she discussed her first book, Pilgrimage of a Soul. Felina is an author spiritual director, yoga instructor, public speaker, and a retreat guide who is passionate about spirituality and making the world a better place, as well as a returning guest to our show. She's the co-founder of Gravity, a center for contemplative activism with her husband, Chris Hewitts, and she is a proud parent of their puppy, Basil. Felina, it is so good to have you on again so soon. How are you doing today? Oh, Holly, it's a joy to be with you. Thank you so much for having me back on. And yeah, I'm doing well, just uh, getting geared up for, for the book launch and lots of moving pieces. And I'll tell you, it takes a village to uh, get a book out there into the public. So I'm excited to get this book released and into the hands of the people who need it most. Oh, that's so awesome. Well, I'm really excited to talk about your new book today. I know since the last time that we talked with you, you had unpacked um, Pilgrimage of a Soul quite a bit. But today we're going to be shifting to, again, talk about your new book that comes out tomorrow, November 13th, um, called Mindful Silence, The Heart of Christian Contemplation. So before we really dig into that book, I'd love to hear you, you know, share with us a little bit about what inspired you to write this book. Yeah. Well, that's a great question. Uh, I was just meeting with one of my spiritual direction clients before this um, podcast interview, and she was um, asking me about the, the book and asked me, like, what is it like, you know, to release this book and have it finished? And I... um you know, the way that I describe it is that it's a labor of love. Mm. It's a book that uh, I I really wrote for people because I knew that they needed it. My first book, Pilgrimage of a Soul, was was slightly different in that being more of a spiritual memoir or theological narrative, uh, that book was really important for me personally to write. It was kind of a, oh, a self-disclosure kind of book a book that was like uh, important for me in terms of putting myself out there and, and owning who I am and owning what God had done in my life and was doing in my life and wanting, even, you know, in the process of writing, I think I may have mentioned this in the interview before that, that, that I was um, working out my own spiritual journey by, by writing, like the mm -hmm. trying to, you know, make sense of what I was experiencing. And so it was a, it was a service unto myself as much as it was for other people. And, um, and so that was a really different experience. This book came about because readers of Pilgrimage of a Soul, many of them were like, wow, this is incredible. I want a life like this. I want to live authentically. I want to experience transformation. And this stuff about contemplation, contemplative prayer sounds great, but what is it and where did it come uh -huh. from? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it became really apparent that people wanted to figure out how to connect contemplative spirituality to their um, faith tradition, um, in particular, the, you know, the Christian faith tradition. And so that's how Mindful Silence came about. 
That's so good. Well, you talk, I mean, you're just telling us about contemplation and Christian contemplation. Can you, can you explain to us a little bit about what that means? Sure. Yeah. So contemplation comes from a Latin word, um, contemplatio, which really means to observe, to gaze, to look at attentively. Um, and, and this idea of contemplation, I, I kind of boil it down to the capacity to see and to see clearly. And so contemplative spirituality is really about opening our eyes to see who we are and who God is and to look more um, directly into the nature of reality. Uh, And so contemplative spirituality is really anything that helps us wake up and see more clearly uh, who we are and who God is. Mm, Gosh, that's beautiful. And that, I mean, that is something that I would imagine is really important for us, especially along our spiritual journeys and um, as you're tying it to Christian contemplation, especially along our Christian journey that need to wake up and to see and look more directly the nature of reality is just, that's so beautiful. Mm. I love that. Well, you know, and it, this, this capacity to see and to know who we are is fundamental to the Christian experience because uh, identity is central to um, what it means to be human And the Christian story tells us that we are children of God. But how many of us really own that identity? How many of us are really living into uh, the reality of being a a child of the divine, uh, someone with divine DNA? Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's it's really uh, interesting that so many of us are not awake to that, um, that we're sort of sleepwalking uh, around, like not living into the fullness of this identity. You know, Jesus said that we would do even greater things than he. Uh, he was clearly the son of God. And he tried to help us understand that we too are children of God. And this wasn't a new teaching. This was a very old teaching um, within the Hebrew scriptures, uh, the Judeo tradition that he was born into. And so contemplative spirituality is, is really supporting the Christian to wake up to their identity and to live more fully in that identity and get on with, you know, what it is we're meant to be about here in this life. Oh, man, that's so good. Oh, that's so good. And what a, yeah, it's just so good. Well, the book certainly talks um, quite a bit about centering prayer as well as that relates to uh, contemplation, which is a term that, you know, I, I would imagine many of our listeners, they, they may or may they, or they may not be familiar with what centering prayer is. So do you mind, you know, telling us a little bit about what centering prayer is and maybe like how it might be different, um, or similar and in, in ways that we think about, I mean, I'm kind of doing air quotes here, but like regular prayer or mm-hmm. like meditation, like, yeah, just tell us a little bit about mm-hmm. what Centering Prayer is. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to. Um, let me just back up a little bit and mention that in uh, Mindful Silence, um, each chapter covers a particular theme of the spiritual journey, themes like sleepwalking, uh, withdrawing to engage, finding liberation by discernment, discovering darkness as light, uh, and so on. And in each chapter, then, I introduce the reader to a particular teacher in the Christian tradition 
and a practice, a spiritual practice or a contemplative practice. And so um, listeners will, uh, you, you know, let's say, get the book, will be able to explore different kinds of prayer practices, all of which are designed to create um, the conditions for us to move more deeply into what we mean by contemplative prayer, which is really just a, a sense of resting in God. But all of the contemplative practices in the book begin by really engaging the mind, what we refer to as discursive meditation, where we're utilizing the faculties for reason, imagination, feelings, and will to connect with God. And all of these practices mentioned in the book lead us then eventually to a place of just resting in God beyond words, beyond images. Now, what sets centering prayer apart from all of those other contemplative practices is that in centering prayer, we don't have the beginnings of um, like the discursive meditation where we're engaging the faculties or engaging the mind or the feelings in any way. We are from the beginning of the practice, letting go of words and images and just practicing resting in God from the get-go, from the beginning mm. of the practice. And so this um, particular kind of contemplative practice is really set apart from the others in that way. Now, all contemplative prayer practices are set apart from the kinds of prayer that most of us have been um, schooled in or formed in if we've grown up in the Christian religion, in that um, most of the prayers that we've been trained in are what we call um, more of the cataphatic kinds of prayer, which is prayer with mm -hmm. it's just a Greek word meaning prayer with words and images. So mm -hmm. really using the mind a lot, using the feelings a lot to engage with God, connect with God. But contemplative prayer is really designed more to be not, not so much conversational or um, exchanging with God in a, mental or emotional way, but, um, but designed to train the, uh, the person praying to rest in God, to deepen their trust in God, and to ultimately let go of control and open up to this deeper inner work that God desires to do in us so that we might be freed up to live more fully into our identity as children of God. Oh, that's so good. That's so beautiful. I love that. And just in thinking about that, that resting in God and, you know, just being able to, to be still and surrender. And, you know, for many of us, we do struggle, I think, with that sense of control and need for control and attachment to those thoughts. And I, I something you had said reminded me of how sometimes when I talk with students a little bit about um, centering prayer, you know, I, I, I kind of link it to thinking about like if you were sitting across the table from someone in a coffee shop and they were always talking to you and you were always they, like they just were constantly talking to you, but there was never a way for you to communicate back to them. Um, like I almost think about that with centering prayer in the sense that if we are constantly talking to God or at God, there's the centering prayer gives us that space to be quiet and listen. Yeah. And be still. Yeah, yeah, so that's kind of like the first step in understanding um, the practice. Mm. But 
But we get into trouble a little bit with that metaphor because as good-hearted Christians, we enter the centering prayer practice wanting to hear something from God, wanting to have some kind of an experience. Right. That's yeah. right. Yep. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. But you know this, like in the yeah. practice, we're not to look for listening or hearing from God um, in terms of like what we can hear at the mental or emotional level. Instead, it's um, it's more like, you know, being in the presence of a lover and knowing that you are loved without there being any kind of words exchanged or experience exchanged. There's just this kind of interior gaze of mm-hmm. love and affection and trust, um, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So it is, it is um, challenging for us in the beginning because we do, we want to hear something. We want to experience something. But the, the gift of centering prayer is that the, the experience of the prayer is really found in the daily life after the practice. So I, I think of it often like, like our soul is a garden. And when we sit down for a centering prayer practice, we're opening to the master gardener who is tending the fruit mm. of the spirit in us. And we don't have to know anything about it. We just get to rest and let go and let the gardener do the work that we cannot do for ourselves. And then in our daily life, we see more evidence of fruit of the spirit, like love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faith, self-control. Oh, that's so good. Oh, it's so good. And I know, I mean, and I know you and I have had conversations about this, but it's, it really is so true. So for those who are listening, I mean, I can really test like just uh, can totally testify that it is true giving up that control and surrendering to the gardener to just tend to those fruits of the spirit it 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 works it's amazing mm-hmm. um and one thing that i really i you do have this one section in you know in the first chapter where you're talking about sleepwalking um when as you're talking about centering prayer and contemplative prayer you write that contemplative prayer and social action must go hand in hand for effective social change. Otherwise, our social action will too often end up being our, our imperfect will imposed on the world. It's too easy to unconsciously project our own wounds or ego-driven desires onto other people and projects. Contemplative prayer exposes and unhinges our unconscious motivations. One who is committed to contemplative prayer has awakened to their need for healing from these inner wounds and liberation from unconscious compulsions. Waking up makes us much less toxic as we engage others to seek to offer some good in the world. And what I I love about this is is how you so beautifully interact and and intersect um, contemplative prayer and centering prayer with social action, which many of our listeners are engaged in, um, whether they're a helping professional or a religious leader or serving in, in whatever way they are with those around them. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that, like just how these two go in hand in hand. Mm, yeah. So, well, this is um, really the heart of the matter, kind of 
I'm coming back on t- into that, that theme that we were talking about in terms of renewing the mind and opening to God's work in us beyond words and thoughts and images is that there are these unconscious motivations in us that we're not awakened to, we're not aware of. Mm-hmm. And, and these are secretly influencing all of our life, even uh, our best intentions um, can be uh, really uh, rooted in some self-serving tendencies. So, for example, in my own life, I, I, as I gave myself to contemplative prayer over the years, I, I woke up to the fact that I had this compulsion that the Enneagram actually gave me language uh-huh. for, yeah. which is this need to be needed. And yeah. by, you know, serving all of those around me, um, being very attuned to their needs, I was unaware of it until I woke up to it. But there was a secret self-serving motivation in many of those so-called selfless deeds. And that was by meeting the needs of others, I was getting some kind of sense of love. And it was a distorted and not a full kind of love. It, it was, um, it was, you know, some, it, this goes back to childhood wounds. You know, it's very, um, complex when we look into the human psyche, but I had learned at a young age that if I met the needs of, of my family members, I would get the attention and the affection and the approval, a sense of quote, love that I wasn't otherwise experiencing. And so um, my whole life took shape around that. When I woke up to that and I realized that many of my attempts to meet the needs of others were actually an attempt to meet my own need to be loved, approved of, to receive some kind of affection, I was devastated. <laughs> um, yeah, the other, I know, understand. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like, and the Enneagram again helps me mm-hmm. see this because I, I identify as type two on the Enneagram. Yeah, and my so fundamental, yeah, so yep. my fundamental, my fundamental flaw is pride. And so here I thought I was just such a good person. Look at me, so selfless, so loving, yep. like giving and providing for so many. And then I realized, oh, not so holy. I'm actually using these experiences to get something from these people, a sense mm-hmm. of love. Mm-hmm. And so once I realized that, I could see how my service in the world was less than pure. Now, does it really matter? I mean, what's the big deal, right? Well, the big deal is that I was not serving out of a fullness of self or out of a wholeness of self, but I was serving out of brokenness. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't know that I was loved. And that would lead to all manner of exploiting and manipulating people and circumstances to try to feed and meet that, that unconscious need. So Mm. uh, you can just kind of extrapolate these kinds of interior dysfunctions, you know, in any kind of sphere, um, whether it's like a one-on-one relationship or within community or um, society um, and, and on from there, you can see how these distorted interior motivations can um, cause more harm than good, um, creating dysfunctional relationships and the exploitation of others to 
um, meet these unconscious drives. Once we have a spiritual practice that wakes us up to the unconscious, we can open um, by faith, really. And this is where faith does come in. And this is where the mysterious inner work of God becomes very real and incarnational because we begin to experience a liberation from those interior distortions and and find a way to live um, more purely. So in my case, to be able to, first of all, discern what is mine to do, uh, how mm-hmm. to say no, that, yeah, there might be all these needs around me, but am I really meant to address all of these needs mm-hmm. or Am I, you know, are there particular areas and people and needs to focus on? And this leads to a lot more energy to be of service in the areas that are really mine to be of service in because I'm not draining my entire life by trying to tend to all the needs. And I, and I look to Jesus as the example for this. Uh, scriptures teach us that, you know, he didn't stop for everyone who needed him. He often withdrew to solitary places. He um, had this keen sense of discernment. I think about the the text in the Hebrew scriptures about hearing a voice calling you, saying, this is the way, walk in it. As we give ourselves to contemplative prayer, we, we grow in that kind of discernment, hearing this is yours to do, this is not yours to do. Say yes to mm-hmm. this, say no to this. And it just leads yep. to, you know, so much more uh, energy and purpose and meaning and capacity to be of greatest service in when we can fine tune and focus our attention on that which is really ours to um, give ourselves to. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. And that you're right. I mean, we. I mean, I think about in social work how many, um, you know, how social workers so often are you know, we're, we're trained to help as many people as we possibly can, but, but that discernment process and, and recognizing what is mine to do and what can I do and what am I equipped to do? And, um, and spending that time in, you know, in contemplative practices to recognize that discernment and hear that still small voice that says, yes, this is yours. No, that's Mm -hmm. not. Um, it is so important. So, Mm -hmm. and, You talk, I know you talk um, quite a bit about, you know, these hallmarks of contemplative spirituality being solitude and silence and stillness. And I know you and Chris do a lot of this, um, or you talk a lot about this, you know, in your work through gravity. Can you explain what each of these are, what they mean, um, Mm -hmm. and how they're tied in with this? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, Uh, Let me preface this by saying if contemplation is about um, opening ourselves up to the transforming work of God, there are many ways to get there. And in fact, I've been uh, learning from a woman by the name of Barbara A. Holmes. She wrote a book called um, Joy Unspeakable, Contemplative Mm -hmm. Practices of the Black Church. And she writes about contemplation um, as experienced by uh, oppressed people groups and is really showing uh, another way of opening to this transforming power of God in our life. And so the thing is that solitude, silence, and stillness really are uh, the hallmarks given to us 
through the European lineage of Christian mm. contemplation. Mm-hmm. And so there, I just want to really emphasize that this is not a monopoly on contemplation, but this is uh, the tradition through the European lineage that we've inherited. And in, in, and so in, with that in mind, what we learn from the monastic tradition um, dating back to the third and fourth century desert mothers and fathers, which were not European, they were actually Northern African and Middle Eastern. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but eventually the desert communities formed into monastic communities and, and were really dominated in, in Europe. And so then you get these religious orders within the church who are, who have rad, like radically committed to prayer. And we learn these practices around postures of solitude, exterior solitude, silence, and stillness. Hmm. And so these kinds of hallmarks I find to be incredibly critical in the 21st century because we are surrounded by noise and busyness and crowdedness. Uh, And so we need, um, you know, these dramatic alterations or alternatives to help us uh, unplug and calm down and find some groundedness so that we can really wake up to who we are and get more aligned with with God in in co-creating the world. Mm -hmm. So in solitude, when we adopt a practice that calls us to withdraw from others and from our activities and that sort of thing, we are actually developing capacity to be more present. And so it's kind of, um, it's kind of a paradox in a way that we have to, Mm -hmm. you know, withdraw to be more present. Um, but if you think about our lives today, um, we may be with people quite a bit, even if it's just through the computer and through emails and correspondence and social media, but how present are we really to others Mm. and how present are we to our own self? And then furthermore, how present are we to God? Uh, We don't, we don't practice presence very well. So solitude helps us when we practice silence, then we have to get quiet so that we can really listen. And so again, in our life, how good are we at really listening to one another, to ourselves and God? We need, we need silence to develop a greater capacity for listening. And then in stillness, um, by getting still, we develop this capacity for restraint, which leads to discernment. So rather mm. than, you know, moving through life in kind of a knee jerk reactionary way, um, stillness teaches us to be more responsive to life. So not you know, having this restraint so that we're not just knee-jerk reacting to everything, but we're able to respond with a little bit of distance from our emotions in the moment. And then we can mm-hmm. discern better how to respond. And so mm-hmm. by, by having these exterior um, hallmarks in our practice, we find that we are developing an inner solitude, silence, and stillness. We don't have to have the exterior solitude, silence, and stillness. It's not required, but it's super helpful Mm -hmm. to develop that interior capacity to essentially be more present, to be able to listen, and to have restraint or self-control so that we can discern what is ours and how to respond um, from our highest, truest self. Yeah, that's good. And you're right. We can't, 
you know, we may not have control over that around us, outside of us, but, but I do think you're right that if we can find ways to be able to practice these before going out and engaging in activism, it does kind of help us to be a bit more grounded and um, centered as we go out and try to serve others and help. And yeah. Yeah. Well, we talked quite a bit last time um, about, well, not quite a bit, but we did talk a little bit about how it's hard for many of us in a lot of ways to get quiet, to be still. And I know that that's, you know, a big heartbeat behind this book is, is to be able to move in that direction. And you mentioned a few practical ideas last time, like Insight Timer we talked about. And for our listeners, we, we did end up creating a, an Insight Timer group um, for CXMH. So you're welcome to, to find us there. But for folks who might be brand new to these ideas, do you have any like practical or realistic ideas just for starting these practices? Like if if folks have never, you know, started centering prayer, they've never done it before and, you know, they're just starting out, like what might be some initial practical steps they can take? Well, I am going to be shameless here and from my heart of hearts, <laughs> encourage <laughs> listeners to buy the book, Mindful Silence. <laughs> yep. I wrote it for you, for the Amen. one who's trying to figure out where to start. How do I begin? Good. What do I do? That's why I wrote this book. So go Good. get it. Let it be a companion to you. Like my my spiritual um, direction client that I was with um, right before this interview, she said, it's like I have you in my pocket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you're with me. And it's like, that's what I want. I want people to feel like I'm with them. I'm companioning with them. I'm supporting them in this really courageous step to mm-hmm. wake up, to be more mindful and to take responsibility you know, for your life. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I love that. And I'll echo and say that it is. This book is so good, y'all. I mean, it's just so good. Well, along the lines with this book, like what, I guess, I mean, and I feel like you've kind of been touching on this throughout, but if you were to say like, what is your hope for this book or the one thing that you truly would hope that your listeners will take away from reading this book, what would that thing be? I love this question. Oh, the one takeaway. I mean, I really hope that the reader will walk away from this book knowing that they are divinely human, that they have more potential than they ever imagined, mm-hmm. and that they would be inspired to take responsibility for that identity and um, and give themselves over to spiritual practice so that they might live more fully into that identity and potential. Mm. Oh, that's so good. Well, if you would like to connect with Felina Hewitts, you can find her on Twitter or Facebook at Felina um, or Instagram or at her website at Felina.com. If you're interested in gravity, you can find it on Instagram at Gravity Center or Twitter or Facebook or on its website at GravityCenter.com. If you'd like to connect with Robert Vore, who unfortunately couldn't be with us today because he had another appointment, um, but if you'd like to connect with him, you can find him at robert-vore.com or on social media at Robert Vore. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me at hollyoxhandler.com or on Twitter at hollyoxhandler. 
Selena, thank you so much for being willing to share this sacred time with us today. I know how precious your time is and I am so deeply grateful. Mm-hmm. Um, are there, do you have any closing thoughts for our audience before we wrap up? No, I, I just one. And that is if people want to learn more about the book, go to mindfulsilence.org, mindfulsilence, mm-hmm. all one word.org. You'll find um, a page with all kinds of information, including the book trailer, which um, just went live today. Yeah, so if you I haven't checked that. did you? Uh-huh. Okay, good. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, go there and you'll learn everything you need to know about, about the book and what, what it's about. And, um, you'll, you'll find different events that are happening around the book in case, um, you want to try to attend one of those. Oh, that's so exciting. Well, we'll make, be sure to include that link in our show notes, um, as well as all the different ways for them to connect with you. Thank you, Holly. Yes. Thank you so much, Felina. I hope you have a great afternoon. Thank you. You too. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMH podcast at gmail.com. A final note. If you're in a dark place today, struggling with suicidal thoughts, you are not alone. Professional help is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255.